We have been walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's a, it's a ba- book, I've been saying, it's really a basic Christianity. Uh, many believe it is the very first book of the New Testament to be written. Uh, it is in Paul's early church planting efforts as he crossed from, from Asia Minor into southern Europe, and he went to Philippi and then to Thessalonica. And it's, it's the second church in Europe that was planted. It's a young church. Paul is driven out from it, and as he writes back to this young church that he has uh, loved and poured himself into, he, he writes to encourage them, and uh, for some other reasons, to defend himself as we look at this morning. We're in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at verses 7-12. through 12. Hear then the Word of God. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the Gospel of God, but our very selves as well. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Well, we proclaim to you the Gospel of God. Your witnesses, and God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged you, and we charged you to walk in a manner that is worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and His glory. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we have gathered this morning as Your people. We gather to Your presence. You have called us and we have come. And we have lifted our hearts and we have lifted our voices to You in worship and in love in praise. And now, Father, we sit at Your feet to hear You speak into our lives the truth of Your Word and Your Gospel. Father, speak to us. Help us to hear. Oh, more than that, Father, help us to be changed and shaped by what we hear. For the glory of Your name and the good of Your church, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says that he was a father to this church. He was a father and a mother to this church of young believers that had been given birth under his ministry in the months previous to this letter. He had come and preached the Gospel in Thessalonica with great success. He saw conversions of of Jews out of the synagogue of some of the God-fearers, the Gentiles that had come to believe in the God of Israel. And many of them came to Christ. And then he moved among the Gentiles to the Jew first. And he saw many converts among the Gentiles. And he had planted a church. And he was their spiritual parent. It's instructive to me as I read this letter and read Paul as he not only interacts with and and seeks to care for and love this church, but how he sees himself in his ministry. I think it is instructive for us as we do ministry. And Paul is writing as a missionary or as a pastor elder to a church that he has worked in and he's describing his own ministry. But my friends, as you hear Paul describing his ministry... I believe that you should also hear him 
giving us an example as He has said to them already in this letter, and I believe that He says again, He has given an example to be followed of the way that we should think about and do ministry amongst ourselves and in the community in which God has placed us. And these things that He is going to talk about are not just for Paul and they're not just for preachers, but they're for us as imitators of Christ who is ultimately the pattern we see in this passage. Paul is defending his ministry. Paul had come to Thessalonica and had successfully planted a church, but he did so by pulling people from other parts of town, out of the synagogue and out of idolatry and the, and the pagan temples and elsewhere to create this, this church. And those from whom he had made converts are not happy with him. They were not happy with what was going on. Uh, there was persecution that broke out, some violence. They came looking for Paul. He was driven out of the city. His message ultimately came up against this opposition. He's driven out of the city. And now as Paul is gone, and so in terms of brute force of coming after him, those guys have left, and so now they have to deal with their, their own townies. You know, these people who live here, their friends and their neighbors who have come to Christ, and they want to win them back out of this, this new thing that they have entered into. And so they begin a campaign of slander, and they begin to make accusations against Paul and the missionaries and why they had been here at all. You know, they started to, to speak against this message. They began to make accusations about Paul's motives. If they can undermine Paul's motives, they can weaken then the whole fabric of the church, the message and what was happening. If their motives were bad, the message is undermined. The leadership is sabotaged. The church will begin to unravel. We need to remember that the church is in a constant state of spiritual warfare. And we see it in this text and in these early days and around the world as it's being proclaimed that often it is very obvious, it's very clear the kind of opposition that the church is facing. And so it's easy for us to be lulled into that false sense of something, which is that we are at peace. And we are not. The enemy prowls like a lion seeking whom he may devour. That even though the opposition may not be as, as obvious as it is here, the enemy is constantly wanting to subvert and destroy Christ's church. We are in a constant state of spiritual warfare. And so we have to be in a constant state of watchfulness, on guard against his attacks. And Paul feels it necessary as they begin to attack his character and attack his motives and to start to say things about him and his ministry and why he was there in the first place. Paul finds it necessary to speak in his own defense. He defends himself. Because if their accusations get traction, then it will begin to undermine the church. And so he is forced many times. You see this as you read the Corinthians and some of his other. It's one of those letters. It's like my parents call all the anyway. Richard, Robert, Randy, whichever one of you, you know who you are. You know, it's, you know, Galatians, you know that you know which one it is. The ones where Paul finds himself def defending himself. That wherever he leaves a church, that church ultimately they come under the accusations begin to come against the leadership. 
And Paul defends himself time and again throughout his letters. And that's what he is doing here in, uh, in this portion of the letter. We saw last week Greg did a great job of, of pulling out as he is defending himself, his, his message and his motives and his mission, why he was there, who he was serving, not himself, but God, pleasing not men, but God. And he did a great job pulling and laying out some of that. And this week as Paul turns, he turns from that, that message and his ministry, uh, his mission, to begin to defend his behavior and his character, which touches his motives again, and his treatment of them. Right? So he, he basically covers the whole front in trying to help them to see the legitimacy of his message and his ministry. He appeals to their own experience of Him. He says, you know us. You know what we were like. We lived with you. We were with you over months. Maybe longer. He was with them for a long period of time. And He says, you know me. You know us. You know how we behaved. Not just in a moment, but over time. You have experienced us. And so... In verses 6 and 7, as he said, nor do we seek 6. Going back, he says, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. We could have made demands on you as apostles. We had the right to make certain demands on you, but we didn't do it. Verse 7, he says, we didn't make demands as apostles. We didn't lord it over you, but we were gentle among you. We were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We didn't demand and we didn't bully. We didn't ask for anything. And we certainly didn't demand anything. Quite the contrary, we were gentle. We were gentle men as we were among you. And you guys have experienced it. And so he employs this simile. You know, a simile is when you liken two things that aren't quite alike to, to make a point, like you're sly as a fox, right? It uses like or as. You're sly as a fox, smart as a whip. You know, and he says, we are gentle as a nursing mother. Gentle like a nursing mother. What a picture, this image of a mother nursing. Right? A mother holding her child, nestling the child's body against her own in the most intimate of contact. It's almost a moment of shalom when you see a mother <laughs> holding her child and that moment where they're nursing. You say the child is most beautiful when they're you know, sleeping and nursing you know, and all that. That there is a peace, an intimacy in that moment. The closeness, it's tight and connected and it's nurturing. And to watch a mother watching her child nurse, be nourished from her, literally from her own body, from her own substance and sustenance, Nurturing a child. What a powerful, challenging thing. Motherhood is powerful. These images of the bond between a mother and a child that in some ways only the mother knows. The child doesn't even get it until they grow up and start having kids. The child doesn't get it in the same way. But a mother knows that bond that God has created between a mother and a child. And the challenge of it, there's so many ways with that is so natural and so there. But it's also challenging that the demands. I've seen so many a young mother fight, or not fight, but struggle under the demands of, of a child entering into your world and the needs 
that the child has 100% of your time all the time. In the middle of the night and in every way, you, you literally have to almost turn away from yourself to pour your life into the life of another. And there is, an, sometimes for some moms, an adjustment into this self-sacrificial posture in caring for a child. There's no more tender picture, gentle, nurturing image than this of a mother nursing and giving herself away on behalf of her child. It is fascinating to me that Paul, that Paul as a man among men, uses this image to describe his ministry. And Paul is a man among men. You know, there's something about the, the masculine leadership and male leadership and the men who came to deliver this message. It was a team of men. And Paul is a man among men in the sense that he's a, he's a man's man. Paul, Paul was... Paul was a man who would be shipwrecked in the open ocean, and when he hits the shore, he doesn't run for home. He stands up and presses on. Paul is a man who would get bit by a snake, you know, as he's traveling through the countryside to deliver the gospel. And when he recovers, he doesn't go home, he goes forward. Paul is a man that you could drag him outside of town and beat him with rods to a bloody pulp to where you think he's dead. And when he gets up and he heals himself, he goes to the next town and he does it again. He is a, he's a man's man in, in, in the sense, I mean, he, no football player has anything on Paul's ability to take a beating and to keep on ticking, so to speak. And so when Paul is using, and then hear him, all of that, forgive me if I go there, you know, masculine tenacity of, of this standing up to physical brute necessity and Paul, when he goes to describe his ministry among these folks, describes it as a mom, a mother, caring for her child. It reminds us that though God reveals Himself as masculine, and He does consistently from Genesis to Revelation, and I believe that is not something we are free to mess with, as some have taken to doing, that He reveals Himself as masculine for a reason. And yet, it is still true that it takes male and female to fully image Him. It says that He created us in His own image. He created them male and female. And that it takes both to fully image Him. And I think that, that all of those characteristics are to be part of, of our makeup in one sense, one level or another. In other words, it a man needs to be gentled by the Holy Spirit. And I have found it true in my own life, in my own marriage, in my own parenting, where I needed to be gentled, softened. And that's not unmanly. The Holy Spirit who is revealed in the masculine, it, it, the Holy Spirit is always He. Always He will come and He will do this and He will teach you and He will remind you and He will do these things. The Holy Spirit who is revealed in the masculine, one of the fruits of that masculine spirit is gentleness, kindness, and goodness. It's not, it is something that should mark men. We should be gentle men. It's a real thing and a biblical thing. And how often in our church ministry in dealing with each other or dealing with those outside do we fail 
in our gentleness. And Paul, for all that he's been through, and in many ways it would be a hardened and calloused man, scarred quite literally. And for all that he's been through, when he shows up to share the Gospel with these people, he is a gentle man. And they know it. He calls them to witness. So it was true. You can't say, I can't say to you and say, you know it if you, if you, you know fully well that it's just not true. So he calls them to witness. Verse 8, as he goes on, he says in, in, his, in his motives and why he does this and then he gets underneath it, then he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the Gospel, but our own selves. Right? And there is a beauty in this that he is saying too. Something that I think we as a church and every church needs to capture in terms of what it means to be a community and what it means to do ministry. And Paul is saying, first of all, that his, his motives in all of this, I was, we were affectionately desirous of you. In other words, we genuinely cared about you. Our genuine, we had a genuine love for souls, a genuinely love, a love for you. When he goes down in the end of verse 8, and, he, and after he says about sharing the gospel in their lives, he goes on to say, because you had become very dear to us. And the word there that when you, you become very dear is the word agapetoi. Not to throw use Greek on you, but you would hear in there, most of you know the word agape which is love. And almost everywhere in the Scripture where you see it translated, beloved. It's this word, agapetoi, beloved. You who have become beloved by us. Who have become very dear to us. And so Paul says we're affectionately desirous. You've become very dear, our agapetoi, our beloved. Just as a mother will do anything because her child is beloved of her, so... Paul and his companions, because of their love, it's very practical. And they would be willing to do anything on behalf of the church. And he says that in various ways throughout his letters. And believe it is true in the way he poured himself out. But he says it here in these terms. We were ready to share with you not only the Gospel of God. Yes, that is our mission. That is our message. That is why we are there. And, and, and in some ways, that's why the church exists, my friends. That we have a mission. It's, we, we don't get to choose it or pick it. You know, and let's, let's make a mission statement. In some ways, you do have to, you know, it's some sub-level you do that. But in many ways, our marching orders have been given to us by the king and captain. And we really don't get to mess with them. Go and make disciples. Preach the Gospel to every creature which is under heaven. But Paul says that as we do that, as we fulfill our mission, as we preach the Gospel, we share with you not just the Gospel, because the Gospel, it's a thing like this. It is not, it's not an intellectual, ethereal you know, thing removed up here in the logical realm where I can just throw this information at you and get you to informationally receive it. Paul comes with his whole... The Gospel is something that is incarnated in us. And if our lives don't match the message, something has gone wrong. It usually it loses a hearing for the Gospel. But it, it, there, there, there is a reality. And that's what Paul is pointing to. You know when we were among you, when I ministered among you, we incarnated what we're talking about. You knew us in the way we lived and were. And we shared with you not only the Gospel of God, but our very selves 
as well. And that's the way church is. It's not about meeting and like having a meeting where you hear a lecture and go on. It's not about you know, doing a certain work where we meet and do certain work and then go our separate ways. That the Gospel that we share comes incarnated in such a way that there's no way you and I can share the Gospel together truly, biblically, genuinely, healthily if we are not sharing our very selves as well. And I believe that that is absolute from all of Scripture. It is, it is so communal. It is so corporate. It is so relational in every aspect. And so Paul says, we shared with you our lives. The word that he used there, we shared our very selves with you. The word very selves is, the word underneath there, again, not to throw Greek at you, it is because you would... It's imp- some things are, come across better if you know what's underneath it. What's underneath it is the Greek word psuchas, and, which is the Greek word for soul. And so everywhere where you see soul translated in the, in the English New Testament, underneath it is this word. And so Paul is saying with them, we share with you not only the Gospel of God, but our souls as well. And so that sometimes, when we, the, the, the Scripture will use the word soul to describe what we're thinking of when we think of souls. But for them, it's so holistic. You know, to say you share your, your whole self with someone, that's soulish. That's your innermost being. That is, so to say we shared our souls with you is to say we shared our whole selves, our whole lives with you. Which is the only way to do it, biblically speaking. It's a daily commitment to deepening relationships. To not only bring the Gospel, but to live the Gospel together in community. It's His community. Community shaped and formed and called out by the Gospel, but a community then that is continuing to be shaped and living it out in each other's lives. Sacrificially opening our lives to each other. A genuine heart of love. A willingness, even a desire to share life, to do Life together. The depth of relationship. It's a beautiful and powerful picture that Paul gives of Christian community. That we belong not only to Christ, but as he says in 1 Corinthians 12, that we belong, therefore, in belonging to Christ, being baptized in one Spirit, that we belong not only to Christ, we belong each to the other. And so Paul goes on, he says, you know, not only our mother's heart and how we did all of this, he says, you know, and this is the heart of ministry, he says, it's a mother's heart. And he says, it's an upright heart. In verses 9 and 10, he says, you remember, brothers. Right? And he's going to say this over and over again. You remember, verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, for you know. You've seen it. You know us. You remember. You guys, he says. We didn't take advantage of you. We didn't make any demands on you. We worked hard day and night so that we might not be a burden. We didn't take anything from you. We didn't want to burden you as we preach the Gospel. Paul said we, this is his motives again driving underneath. We didn't come in verse 3 with error, impurity, deception. Verse 5 with flattery, with greed. We're not trying to get your money. And proves it that we worked and we supported ourselves. We, and we raised support. He says here that he worked hard day and night. He is a tent maker. I don't know about the other guys. 
you know, whether they're helping him or what they do, but he says we work to support ourselves. This is the way missionaries do it. We would call that, in fact, we call it now and today tent making, because a missionary who moves into a culture and gets a job or some livelihood to support himself at the same time building relationships and sharing the gospel, we call it tent making. At the same time, we send people and we support them so that they don't have to work and they can do the ministry full time. And this is what goes on with Paul even here. He doesn't mention it, but interestingly, the church he planted before Thessalonica was Philippi. And when he writes the book of Philippians, in the book of Philippians, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Right? So here Paul, he doesn't say it to them, but he does in thanking the church in Philippi. When he was in Thessalonica, we know he received support from other churches. We know that again and again, 2 Corinthians 11.8, he says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. This is the missionary way. It's the way we still do it. Why? For the very reason Paul is pointing out here. I did not want to A, be a burden to you, and B, I did not want to confuse you as to our motives. I don't need your money. I don't want your money. In fact, so churches like us will support someone to go be able to preach the Gospel freely to other people. They don't need money. They don't need support. They're able to then freely, without confusion, give the Gospel away. And so churches support them. Verse 10, he goes on, he says, you are witnesses and so is God. I would love, we ought to be able to make this claim, right? He says, you are witnesses and God also, how holy, righteous, and blameless. Holy in, in our relationship, I would take holy in relationship to God, how, how, how we served Him, how we were living for Him, how we were devoted to Him, how holy and righteous, that is, in how we related to You, that we were upright and full of integrity in the way that we dealt with You. We were holy and upright and we were blameless in our reputation, that we, that we were without reproach, you know, beyond reproach. We were blameless in the way that we sought to do it, that our motives were right. And he says, and you remember, you know this. What would it be for us, my friends, to be able again and again in our service to say that you guys are my witnesses? You know. And, and then with the cleanness of conscience to say, and so does God. How holy, righteous, and blameless we sought to be as we did ministry. And with the very heart of a church leadership, that kind of Honesty and transparency and genuineness is a beautiful and powerful thing. But Paul shifts on and he brings in and expands the metaphor and he says, and you know how like a father with his children we exhorted you. How we were also like a father. Interestingly, in a world that we live in now that wants to basically erase gender. To, to just blur the lines away. The denial of the distinctness of the sexes. And where the Bible assumes it and confirms it on every level. And Paul does it here at some level saying that fathers contribute something unique and different than a mother does. Because he is gifted and wired and created differently. And two together image God and two together can image it and give it to children in a way that they need it. And there is a unique thing that a man and a woman brings to the table and brings to a family and brings to our children. That we balance and complement 
each other. And that's what Paul is saying. One commentary said it this way, Young, he says, Children need not only the tender care and nurture of a mother, but also the example and the instruction and the correction of a father. A masculine leadership that is unique and healthy and desirable. Now, in balancing even that statement is to say, remember that Paul says he embodies both of them. That they were gentle and tender with them. But we were also like a father. And we brought other things to the table that our gentleness did not become wishy-washiness. But that our, that our message, though it came gently, it came with a firm, strong hand of the truth. That we called you guys to account. We called you to follow Christ. We called you to a serious godliness. We corrected you and we trained you in righteousness. He says we ex- that the Father exhorts and encourages and charges to exhort, to call someone to oneself and to instruct or admonish and to encourage it, to give courage and to strengthen and to support them and to charge them to seriously declare and assert the truth. Balanced our gentleness with a firmness, a discipline, an exhortation, an admonishment. To do what? Well, He says, we exhorted you. We encouraged you. We charged you to walk in a manner that is worthy of God. We called you to a, to a heart after God's own heart. We called you to a disciple's heart. That the heart of ministry, though it comes as a father and a mother and as a, and as a, as a disciple, to walk worthy of God. And this walking is to follow Christ and then there's a walking to to follow Him. And this is the walking that is worthy. It's a summary of the entire Christian life and duty. This walking with the Lord. We see in this whole thing a picture of Jesus. The life and ministry of Jesus. The Savior who came and As Paul describes his ministry, if you took Paul out of it, you might think he was describing Jesus' ministry. How he was gentle and humble of heart. How he loved so genuinely and passionately. How he shared not just the Gospel and the Kingdom, but his very life as well with these people. Ultimately giving it up on their behalf. We see Jesus in His holiness and righteousness and blamelessness of His ministry is a pattern not only for Paul, but a pattern for us as we seek to do ministry amongst ourselves and in our community. That we would image Christ. That we would imitate Him. That we would be conformed to the image of the Son. That we would genuinely love each other. Like Paul did this. Affectionately, Are we affectionately desirous of each other? We think of each other as our agapetoi, as our, as our beloved. This is our beloved people, and we long to be with them, to serve with them, to fellowship with them, to do life with them. My friends, there is no service, there is no skill, there is no learning, there is no eloquence, there is nothing else that can take the place of love or make up for a lack of love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I give away all that I have, I deliver my body to be burned and I have not love, I've gained nothing. Love 
gentleness, firmness, discipline. The breadth of imagery that he uses to capture Jesus was like this. You, you try to say Jesus was loving. You know, or Jesus was this. Or you try any one thing. You need a breadth of imagery to capture who Jesus was. What He said and what He did. And no one word, no one image will capture it for you. And so this imagery, the breadth of this imagery to capture the nature of ministry and the likeness of Jesus. What it looks like to live under King Jesus. A willingness to share not only the Gospel, but our very selves, our very souls as well. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, would You make us such a community? Oh, we long to be faithful in preaching the Gospel. We long to be faithful like Paul to persevere in the clear, clarion call of the Gospel to the world. But as we do that, Father, let us not do it in a disembodied way. May we share and learn to share amongst ourselves our very souls as well. Teach us to be a family and a community in the image of Christ that incarnates the very message that we would preach. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.